you would turn with me, I believe, one last time to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, begin reading in verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. As we saw a couple weeks ago, the Apostle Paul in the first portion of this chapter gives instructions on how servants were to be faithful to their masters whether they were believing masters or not which in our day we can take to learn from that as employees were to be faithful employees whether we have believing employers or we do not he goes on to speak about those who would teach things that were contrary to the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and that person was proud they know nothing and the end of their uh, deliberations against God would bring them to the point that they would suppose that gain is godliness. In other words, all they're concerned about is gaining wealth. And in their mind, if they gain wealth, that proves that they're godly people. But then the apostle says, that's not true. He says, godliness with contentment, that is great gain. Contrary to what the world would teach you, being content with a godlike life, will bring you great gain. You can have billions of dollars. Um, I know that there were a lot of folks disappointed this week when they didn't win that 1.9 billion. I wasn't disappointed, I didn't play it because I forgot to. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's how much I'm committed to the lottery. I, I just forgot all about it. Uh, but even if someone had won that, that cannot bring the joy that you'll have by living a godly life and being content with what the Lord has provided you. He says, for we brought nothing to this world is certain. You know, there's a lot of things uncertain about this life, but here's one thing Paul says is certain. He said, it is certain we'll carry nothing out. So he says, having food and raiment, if we can eat and we're clothed, let us therewith be content. And he says, they that will be rich, those that that's their desire, that's what motivates them, that's what presses them in this life, 
He says, they fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And then he lets us know that the love of money um, is the root of all evil. He says, some, while they covered it after they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Folks who only pursue that at the expense of their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as disciples, they will end up very, very sorrowful. Before we get into today's message, one of the things that I have read about the life of, um, uh, I just went blank, what is, uh, Mr. Rockefeller. John Rockefeller was a very, very wealthy man. And, of course, a lot of his wealth came through Standard Oil Company, but he also was a man that diversified. And I remember a story about he, in his late, I think it was his late 40s, he developed alopecia from stress, lost his hair, and, uh, and the man could only eat milk and drink, or drink milk and eat crackers. That's all. His stomach was so upset because he was consumed with money that this man who could have bought any kind of food and any luxurious meal that he could have ever, he couldn't eat it. He, he couldn't keep it down. On one occasion, he was hauling grain from the Midwest uh, to markets in the East, and one of his advisors convinced him because there was some projections of potential rain and train cars weren't covered in those days to buy insurance on uh, that train load of grain. So he did. I don't remember what the amount was, and it wasn't. It was a small amount in comparison to what he could have lost. That train arrived in the east, and there was no rain. So he looked at that expenditure, buying that insurance as a waste of money, and the man went to bed for a week grieving over what he spent on insurance for a trainload of grain. Now, you can't tell me that's a happy individual in this world that literally had to go to bed for a week because he bought insurance and didn't need it. But, you know, that's the whole point of insurance. If I look over a year what I spent on insurance, it probably caused me some grief as well. I just put it out. You know what it's for. It's obviously to insure against something happening. You don't want that to happen that you're insured against. But it's like Mr. Rockefeller would have rather had lost all that grain so the insurance would have paid out so he would have had his money back plus what he paid for the insurance, I guess. But anyway, the love of money, he says, is the root of all, all kinds of evil. He says, but thou, O man of God, this is, this is applicable to a minister, but it's also applicable to any follower of the Lord Jesus. He said, flee these things. In other words, flee the desire to be rich and flee the love of money. It's, there's no doubt we have to have financial resources to make it in this world. That's, we know that. That's a given. The Lord is never saying here that it's wrong to have money, that it's wrong to work for money. In fact, the Bible teaches it's wrong not to work. Uh, but he's letting us know that our desire in laboring is that it's not that we will be wealthy individuals, but that we will have what we need to take care of our families in this life. And if you have that, be content. Uh, be satisfied with what the Lord has blessed with. He says, flee these things. He says, but rather follow after. That word follow after is one word in the Greek. And I'll I don't know the English language well, and I know Greek even less, but one thing, it's the very same word that we find in the Bible translated as persecution. Follow after. He says, what does persecution mean? It means to have someone pursuing you uh, with great desire. When somebody is being persecuted, there's somebody after them that has a great desire. Now, their desire is wicked. Their desire is probably to destroy you. But here, the 
the thought is that what we're pursuing, we're doing so with great desire. We're not just doing it, well, the Lord told me. No, this is something that we're doing because we have a great desire towards these things. So he says, follow after. That means uh, pursue with passion. Pursue hotly is what the word is defined as. So pursue hotly, uh, that means with great passion and desire, righteousness, godliness. Again, that means godlikeness. You're to pursue after faith, after love, after patience, after meekness. Now, that's contrary to what the world will tell you that you're to pursue after. They will tell you that you ought to be passionate about uh, things the Bible says we ought to uh, flee from. And you and I as children of God are to pursue after things the world would tell us to flee from. It's the direct opposite of how the world would teach. They wouldn't tell you to seek after righteousness uh, or godliness or faith or love or patience or meekness. I mean, is the world going to tell you to be meek? No, they say look out for number one. Uh, be concerned about yourself, you know. Uh, you've got to always, uh, only, I, I, even recently I heard someone say, a believer who had helped somebody and it didn't work out very well for them. They said, you know, I just decided I'm just not going to do good for other people anymore. I'm like, that's not the lesson to take from that. Uh, the lesson to take from that is that's how it works many times is when you do good and communicate to other folks, a lot of times they're not going to appreciate. But God is not unrighteous. To, he didn't say in Hebrews that men are not unrighteous to forget your work. He says God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love in which you have ministered to the saints and do minister. It's God that remembers those saints. And the question then is, who are you doing it for? Are you doing it to serve the Lord to start with? Are you doing it for... Uh, to be known of men, to be seen of men, and to be congratulated by men. If that's what you're doing it for, you're going to be disappointed when they uh, abuse what, they've, what you've done for them. But here, again, he says, you're to follow after. Will the world tell you to follow after patience? <laughs> you know, the whole ploy of marketing is to keep you from being patient. That's why credit card companies exist, so that people aren't patient. Uh, a patient person will work and save and put away until they're able to purchase. You know, that's far, but I've done it both ways. There's times that I've put away money and I've saved for something and I went and I just wrote a check for it and I knew it was paid for. You know, that was a great feeling to know that's just paid for. It's, it's done. I don't have to worry about that. But credit card companies are really good to tell you you got 12 months, no interest. And so you purchase that, but there's a payment every month. You got to take, so maybe you're enjoying what it is that you've got there, but you owe somebody for that. And the Bible lets us know that the borrower is servant to the lender. Uh, so credit card companies, marketing companies, they do not want you to be a patient individual. Satan does not want you patient. There's a lot of things that God will bless in our lives if we simply are patient and wait for the Lord to bless. The Bible makes it clear that you and I are not to be weary in well-doing. He says we're not to tire out in doing what is right. He says, uh, here's why. He says we will reap in due season... If we faint not, if we'll just be patient, we'll reap. Um, I've had to learn that by experience, uh, that uh, there's things that will come down the road that I would love to see happen right now, uh, but there's times that uh, we just have to keep pressing on in the way that God has commanded us, knowing that there's coming a day of harvest. Right now, we're maybe in the days of sowing, and then the day of harvest will come if we, with patience, will wait for the Lord to bring the harvest. So here he says, we're to flee the things of men, the desire to be rich, uh, to press on only for worldly gain. He says, rather, we're to pursue after, we're to uh, follow with passion. 
desiring righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And we could have a sermon on each of those, but we're going to press on it. Then he tells us we're to fight the good fight of faith. Now, when he tells us this, and then he says, lay hold on eternal life, he's going to talk about rich men later. And he says, these rich men, they're to lay up in store for themselves a good foundation, meaning not that they're to save financially here. They're to do good in the service of God. He says, and when they do that, he says, they're laying up for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean that the rich man, because he uh, is very generous in his giving, that because of that, now he has eternal life. No, by having that attitude, he's taken hold of something and enjoying something he already possesses. And in the same way here, the apostle tells Timothy, he says, as a man of God, you're to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. He's talking about financial gain in this world versus laying hold on eternal life. He says, you cannot have both desires at the same time. Now, again, you can have the desire to be a godly individual in the workplace and to provide for your family. You can have that desire and still lay hold on eternal life. But if your desire is that you will only get gain, then that is going to counteract your desire to lay hold on eternal life. You're not going to possess both of those together. If your spirit is always driving you towards gain, you are going to put out of mind what you have laid up for you in heaven, which has been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. You really cannot, there, there's not a middle ground there. You cannot serve two masters. The Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon there means riches. Now you can't serve them both. And a person who will be rich, that only has the motivation to be, they're serving financial gain. And, and it's, it's impossible to serve two masters. So again, you can be acquiring, you can be working and laboring, and that comes, the Lord blesses, and hopefully it multiplies. But if you will just simply trust God to take care of those things, then you don't have to be just focused on that and completely motivated by that. You can be focused on serving the Lord Jesus Christ and laying hold on eternal life. Again, you already have eternal life. The point here by laying hold on is not that you're trying to grab something that God is dangling out here, that if you will just reach out and take it, it's yours, and you'll have it, and if you don't, you're going to miss out on it, and you'll never experience it. That's not what it means to lay hold on eternal life. It means to grab on to that which has already grabbed you. That's what Paul says in Philippians. He says that he wanted to apprehend that which had apprehended him. In other words, he wanted to grab on to God who had already grabbed on to him. And that ought to be our desire as we live in this world, that we want to apprehend him who has apprehended us. So he says, I give thee charge, excuse me, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Now, if you recall in 1 Timothy chapter 1, at the close of that chapter, he says that we are to war a good warfare. That is really the theme of this book, is that there's a warfare to fight, and we're to do it in a good way. So he says, fight the good fight of faith. A man of God who is a true, and again, whether you're in the pulpit or in the pew, to fight the good fight of faith, number one means you, are, you just trust that the Lord will take care of all the necessities of your life. But also the fight of faith here also means that you're fighting for the body of truth. But also to fight for the body of truth means that you're also wanting to maintain it in the very way in which you received it. Meaning you're not trying to alter it. You realize that it's as good as it gets. That what God has given to us, the body of truth, it's, that's the very best. 
and there's no improvement to be made upon it. Now, I can improve how I fight for it. I can improve how I stand in the faith. I can improve my dedication out of the household of faith. Those things I can improve. I can't improve on the doctrine of the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It's already perfected by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now I'm just to fight the good fight of faith, and I'm to lay hold on eternal life. He said, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So here he says, Timothy, you were called by God into eternal life. He said, now I want you to lay hold on it. He says, grab that which has already grabbed you. You have eternal life. You've been called to that. But the enjoyment of it here and now is to enjoy it. It's incumbent upon us then to take hold of it. And there are many in this world that know the truth of the sovereign grace of God that delivers men from hell to heaven from Satan to Christ, from sin to righteousness. They know the truth of that. But they're not laying hold on eternal life. There's some that ought to be here this morning that are choosing not to lay hold on eternal life. That's just the reality. Uh, that may be rough. It's just the way that it is. You have chosen today to lay hold on eternal life. And what a blessing it is when we do. So again, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. He said, whereunto thou art also called. God has called us into this life. But then notice what Paul goes on to say. He says, and you have professed a good profession. So imagine Christ as King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the captain of God's host. He has enlisted you into his service, into his army. You are part of the host of Christ. You were conscripted by him. We all either were there or or remember or we've heard about what it was like especially during the Vietnam era when an individual would get that draft card what that was, they were conscripted in other words they were drafted it meant that the government says you're going to show up you're going to fight you don't have a choice in this now most throughout most of American history our military has been a voluntary uh, military and there's reason for that when we broke away from England we, we didn't want to have an army that was conscripted by the king. And so at least twice in our nation's history, uh, we've uh, uh, superseded what our founders uh, expected of military need and, uh, and installed the draft. But God, God is not limited by whether you're going to volunteer or not. God has conscripted you into his service. When you were born of the spirit of God, when you were made a partaker of the divine nature, all of a sudden you possess eternal life. God has called every child of God to be one soldier in his host. Timothy was called into that service. He was drafted by God. But notice what Timothy went on to do. He also professed. That means he volunteered. He said, okay, here's my draft card. It came from God. And I'm now going to volunteer for the service. of. The See, God is not like the United States government going to come up and arrest you and force you into service or put you in jail if you won't go. I mean, it's not like back in the 70, 60s and 70s when individuals would dodge the draft and move to Canada or other places uh, and try to evade what uh, the government was required. You, God is not going to come and just force you into his service. He will call you into it. But here, Timothy, then he professed a good profession. In other words, he says, okay, God's called me. My draft card came. I've been conscripted into the service of God. So now I'm going to volunteer in his service. So he professed a good profession before many witnesses. You know what he professed? 
he certainly professed what already was, that God had called him and he had eternal life. And so he just made that open. Every time that a child of God comes down the aisle to join the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him, we're just professing something that already is a reality. We're just uh, professing that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. That's what our profession is. We're not uh, making some reality. We are professing something that already is a reality. And that's what here uh, Timothy is doing. God has called him into this service and Timothy recognizes. So now he publicly professes that he recognizes that God has called him into eternal life. And so he wants to lay hold on eternal life and fight a good fight of faith. So then here Paul goes on to say, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickened all things and before Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Now this is not the first time that Paul charges Timothy. He does so multiple times. In fact, in chapter 5, remember he says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Three in heaven, he says, I have charged you before. God the Father, God the Son, and even the elect angels. Well, this time he says, I am charging you before God, he says, who quickeneth, that means who gives life to all things. It says of Jesus Christ in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The only life that you and I can have, whether it be natural life or life from the Spirit of God, both proceeds from the source of all life, God himself. Had God not in the beginning said, let the heavens and the earth be created, you would not have life this day. If it wasn't God who was preserving your life to this present hour, you wouldn't persist on this earth. The Bible says that he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That means all things continue. You continue to this day, as Paul says, uh, because you've obtained the help of God. David in the psalm says that our breath is in his hands. Think about that. Every time you breathe in a breath and you breathe out a breath, that's in the hand of God. Uh, God is very much an intervening God, a God of providence. And I don't care if you're talking about the righteous or the wicked. All life, natural or spirit, it all proceeds from God. Without him, there is no life. He's the source of life, and he's the one that life consists through. It's by his power that this world continues. It's by his power and his providence that your life carries on. It's in him that we live, we move, and we have our being, the Bible says in Acts chapter 17 through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Uh, so if it weren't for him, we would not live, we would not move, and we would not have our being. But thanks be to God uh, that Paul says, I have charged you before God who quickeneth all things. That ought to encourage us. It's God who gives us life. And so since he has given us life, we ought to embrace the life that he's given to us, enjoy it, live it in a way that brings him honor, bring it, uh, live it in a way that brings uh, uh, glory to his name, a way that will bring no reproach to him, but a way that will only bring Praise, even the wicked, hopefully when they would see us, would have to confess there's something different about it. I love what it says about the apostles when it says that they took note that they had been with Jesus. I hope the world could see in your life and mine that I've been with Jesus and that you've been with Jesus. It ought to impact us. It ought to make a difference. If it doesn't, there's something wrong with what we believe. You've been with Jesus. He's been with you. So Paul says... I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Interesting thing that Paul says there. He says, Timothy, you have professed a good profession much like the Lord Jesus Christ witnessed 
a good confession. Now, the word confession and profession, they're, they're both the same word. Now, when it says confession, a lot of times when we think of confessing something, we think of someone admitting to wrong. But that's not primarily what the word means. Primarily, it just means making a declaration of what is so. You know, if I confess to a crime, you know what I'm really doing? I'm just professing what is reality, that I've done wrong. But in the case of the Lord Jesus, when he made a confession and witnessed that before Pontius Pilate, it was a good confession. Couldn't call it good if he had done wrong and he was having to tell Pontius Pilate that I, 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 I'm a wicked man like these Jews. Well, what all did the Lord uh, confess before Pontius Pilate? Go read the gospel account. He said very little to Pontius Pilate, very little. In the gospel accounts, you'll find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that Pontius Pilate would ask him if he was the king of the Jews. You know what he'd say? Thou sayest. Thou sayest. Well, that doesn't seem like much of an act. Jesus wasn't denying. He was just saying, you've said that I am the king of the Jews. Then we turn to John chapter 18. And in John chapter 18, you're going to find that, so the Lord admits that he is the king of the Jews. That's part of his confession. We also find that in John chapter 18, that Pilate comes to the Lord Jesus, and he says to him in verse 35, Pilate answered. Now he just asked him, art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus says, sayest thou this of thyself, or did some others tell it of me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? <laughs> Why would they? In other words, I need you to answer. I mean, they wouldn't tell me all that they had. He said, thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? He says, this is Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou a king then? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am a king. Then he says, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So in all the accusations that come against Jesus, he's, he's called all kinds of things and all sorts of sins have been laid against him and charged and he answers them not at all. He stays silent through all that. And now when Pilate, are you a king? He says, thou sayest it. But then Jesus does say, my kingdom. You know what that admits? That he's a king. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants. He's telling Pilate, I'm no threat to you. I'm not here to dethrone you. I'm not here to dethrone Caesar. He says, I'm not even here to dethrone Herod. He said, that's not what I'm here about. He says, if I were here on a mission to establish a kingdom that was an earthly kingdom, then my servants would fight. He says, but my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. His kingdom is a kingdom that's within us. Uh, his kingdom is a kingdom that's already established. Uh, his kingdom is where he sits right now in glory, enthroned in the uh, beauties and the honors of heaven. Uh, his kingdom is a kingdom that has everlasting dominion, and he'll never be dethroned. He's a king that'll never die. He's a, never king, a king that'll never be overpowered. He's a king that will never uh, have his end. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So he tells him, he says, my king, it's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight, that I wouldn't be delivered to the Jews. He says, but now is my kingdom not from hence or from here? 
And he says, art thou a king then? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I'm a king. He says, but then he said, to this end, this is why I've come, is what Jesus essentially, I've come for this hour. I have come to this world for this reason, that I should bear witness under the truth. And he says, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Now, later Pilate will ask him, what is truth? Like, who cares about truth is what Pilate basically is saying. Truth to Pilate is much like truth for many in our culture today. It's relative. It's whatever you want it to be. He didn't really care about truth. Jesus very much cares about truth. Anyway, so he defends that he's a king. He also makes it clear his kingdom's not of this world. He confesses to Pilate that he came, that truth would be established, and those who are of the truth, they hear his voice. And then finally, you're going to find that Pilate would tell him that I have power to let you go, and I have power to crucify thee. This is in John 19. Now, think about it. So Jesus here, for all the accusations, stays quiet. He doesn't answer anything. When he's at, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? Thou sayest. When Pilate comes in and asks him here, he lets him know, I have a kingdom, but it's not of this world. It's not, it's not in competition with the kingdoms of this world. Pilate, of course, is intrigued by this. And then finally, he's so frustrated at the lack of, you know, the best way you can get at somebody who's coming at you? And I, I, I don't want to be careful how, how we motivate ourselves, but one of the best ways to react when somebody is coming is just don't react. <laughs> I have found even in driving on the interstate and I've accidentally maybe cut somebody off or done something, and, you know, they start yelling at you before I kind of get ag aggravated and maybe say something. Well, now I just wave. And smile. And, you know, I found either folks take that and realize, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, or they get so angry. It's, a, it's amazing that you can just basically say, I'm sorry, and wave and, and smile and try, and they get so mad. Well, you know, the wicked, they want a reaction. Satan wants a reaction. He wants us to react. Uh, that's one of the great problems of one of the former leaders of our nation is he didn't realize just don't react sometimes. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just be quiet and let the wicked rampage. Uh, let them just uh, boil over and let them finally just run out of air in their attempts to come against you. That's what Jesus did. And finally, Pilate is so frustrated that Jesus won't even answer. Pilate says to him in verse 10, Speakest thou not unto me? Aren't you going to answer me? Don't you know? who I am he goes on to say he says I have power to crucify you and I have power to let you go don't you know who you're talking to or rather who do you not know who you're not talking to so he's been asked if he's a king he confirms he is his kingdom is challenged he affirms what it is and now his sovereignty is called into question here he says, I have power over you. <laughs> That's what Pilate thought. <laughs> you know, Pilate had been appointed by Caesar, the, the, the most powerful man on the earth. The most powerful man on the earth had appointed Pontius Pilate into his position. You know what that means? There was one person on the earth above Pontius Pilate. His name was Caesar. So you can see why this person would think he had a lot of power. And from an earthly perspective, he did. So he says... Jesus, you need to understand who you're dealing with. 
Jesus basically responds, no, you need to understand who you're dealing with. He says to him, and I love Jesus' saying, thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin, speaking of Judas Iscariot. So here the Lord Jesus Christ, when he witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate, he confirms that he's a king. He confirms he has a kingdom that's not of this world. He confirms that he came into this world to witness the truth of the everlasting God. And he also confirms that he is the sovereign God that made heaven and earth. That's how Jesus Christ, that's how you and I ought to live our lives. We ought to uh, live our lives in this way, that we have a king, his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to be afraid to admit that. And we ought to confess uh, that you and I serve in a kingdom that he's the king over. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. And we ought to confess the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and never apologize for that. And we ought to always remember that our king is the sovereign over all creation. And never forget that. If we keep that in mind no devil in hell and no man on earth can shake you to your core those four things that Jesus established before Pontius Pilate are the four things that will keep you motivated when the fiery darts of hell are coming against you you just simply take up the shield of faith in remembrance of who Jesus is who it is that you serve and where it is that you're going and the fact that he's sovereign over all if you'll remember that then every one of those fiery darts will be quenched. Anyway, here he says, back to 1 Timothy 6. He says, I give thee charge of the sight of God who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. He says that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's two honorable ways out of this world for a Christian. To live faithful to the last breath or the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything short of that is dishonorable. He tells him, he says, you're to keep this, you're to be faithful. He says, till the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, well, Paul, that's easy to say. Well, Paul did it. Read 2 Timothy 4 verse 7 when he says, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith I have finished my course he says henceforth and I thank God he said henceforth and not therefore you know Paul uses the word therefore a lot in the Bible Paul could have said you know I have fought a good fight I've kept the faith I've finished my course therefore because of what I did there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness that's not what he says he says, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Henceforth, what does that mean? Going forward, he says, there is a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, uh, he says, which is the righteous judge, shall give unto me, and not to me only, he says, but unto all them that love his appearing. So here the apostle Paul says, I have finished out my course. I have kept the faith, and I have fought a good fight. He says, before me now, is a, not because of what I did. He said, this is just a reality, that before me is a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me, but not to me only, but unto all of them that love his appearing. Now, before you get too excited about wearing a crown, I'm sure Charles III is very excited about next June when they put that crown on his head. <laughs> You may enter into heaven with the crown, but you're very quickly going to take it off because those four and 20 elders, when they came before the Lord Jesus Christ, 
They didn't wear that crown, but they cast it at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus may give you a crown. All a crown is is a symbol of victory. But you know what we're going to say? That victory is not ours. We didn't win that victory. We did nothing to accomplish that victory. But here's the one before us who did everything to give us the victory, to make us triumph over death, hell, and sin. And so we're going to take off this crown of victory and cast it at the victor's feet, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here the apostle says, I want you to keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have no biblical right to ever stop serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And the blessing, if you will do it faithfully to your last breath, when you do it with your last breath on earth, you know what? You'll go right into heaven continuing to do the same, but now in perfection. That's a beautiful thought, at least to me, to think that if I, through the help of God, can be faithful to my dying breath, I can leave this world praising his name and immediately in heaven do the very same, but do it finally in a way that I can't do it now in perfection without sin weighting me down. So again, he says, we're to keep this commandment and it's to be without spot and rebuke until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. And I love verse, which in his times, in his times, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. You know, we all wanted in our times on Tuesday night to know the results. It wasn't in our times, though. I didn't learn until this morning where the balance of power fell in the Senate. And you know what? I'm not concerned about it. Because I know the true balance of power is in glory, so I'm not concerned about it. But, you know, a lot of folks very concerned all week long. How's this going to fall out? How's it going to fall out? How's it going to fall out? Well, I'm not sure. I know how, I know how this world's going to fall out. I know how the end's going to fall out. I know how this is all going to wind up. Now, I wish he would do it in my time. I wish I could say, Jesus, come now, and he would. Because if I could and he would, it'd happen because I'd already called for it. But I'm also thankful Peter lets us know the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance there just simply means a turn. Well, what kind of turn? You mean from ungodliness to, no, talking about from death and sin to a life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord's waiting patiently, and he's not slack, He's waiting for the last child of God to be born of the Spirit of God. And I think as soon as that moment occurs, then the Lord will come back. But notice it says, which in his times he shall show. There's a lot of people right now that question the veracity, meaning the reality that Jesus is even a real person and that he's the king. They don't want to admit that he's God. They don't want to confess his name. They want no part with him. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Jesus said, don't even be surprised if they hate you. He said, because they hated me. So that ought to, we ought to just recognize that's, that's how this world functions. There are those who hate. And as he talks about light in a moment, he says in the Gospel of John, he says, they hate the light. Why? Because it shows their works and it reproves them. In other words, light points out their ungodliness. And so they don't even want to think about the Lord Jesus. But when he comes, he shall show so in his times, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. What does that word potentate mean? It means supreme governor. 
So in Jesus' times, he will show, he will declare, he will manifest who is the supreme governor. And then we're going to see who is coronated king of kings. We're going to know then who is really the, the greatest king ever. It's not going to be Nebuchadnezzar. It won't be Pharaoh. It won't be Caesar. It won't be uh, uh, the great kings of Britain. It won't even be the great presidents of the United States. All of them, all of those kingdoms, they are going to come before the Lord Jesus Christ and he will rule them with a rod of iron. So, but there's coming a day when he shall show who is the only and blessed, I love that part too, the blessed and only potentate, the supreme governor, the only one, but also the blessed one. He's the supreme governor. He's king of kings and he's Lord of lords. So in that moment when Jesus appears, it's going to be clear who the supreme governor is. It's going to be clear who's been coronated king of all kings. And it, well, he will exercise that day who is the Lord of all lords. The supreme governor, that means he has all power. The king means he reigns. The Lord of all lords means he executes his reign and his laws. So this verse tells us that there's coming a day that Jesus shall show himself to be the only governor. It's going to be clear that he has been exalted and coronated as king of kings. And then he as the supreme governor, the only and blessed potentate, and the king of kings will execute the laws of his kingdom to the fullest and on the righteous that will be a great blessing and upon the wicked a great curse but that day's approaching then he says who meaning Jesus only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto whom no man has seen nor can see to whom be honor and power everlasting amen so here when the apostle considers this he just breaks out who only hath immortality as he thought, thinks about the Lord Jesus, the nature of God is this. He's the only one that is not subject to death. He's the only thing in creation that's not subject to destruction. Uh, he is the, of course, he's outside of creation, but he is the only one who hath immortality. Now, the day is coming, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that these bodies that are sown in weakness shall be raised in power. These bodies that were sown in corruption shall be raised in incorruption. And then the time will come when this mortal shall have put on immortality. There's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will bestow immortality upon you and I. But that's not an attribute that we have being part of the nature of God right now. Death still affects us. It's affecting every one of us right now whether we realize it or not. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it. <laughs> There may be cancer cells developing in your body or my body right now that we don't even know of. Now, don't run out to the doctor to get a PET scan, okay? Just trust the Lord's in it. Your arteries, <laughs> depending on how you eat and your uh, genetics, are clogging up right now. And one of these days, you may need to have uh, a stent put in to clear that out. Other issues in your life are happening as you sit here right now. We are dying as we sit here. I love how, I can't remember with the preacher. He was, he was dying and he was dictating as he was preaching. I read this about him many times. And he was writing to his friends saying that he was about to go to the land of the dying. And he told his secretary, scratch that out. He says, I'm about to leave the land of the dying to go to the land of the living. 
he thought in his dying moment, he got it right. He, he turned it around. This is the land of the dying. From the moment we're conceived, we're dying. And if Jesus doesn't come, you and I will experience death. But he only had immortality, dwelling in the light. Which, you know, Jesus said in John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. He that believeth in me shall not be in darkness. I thank God for that. 1 John chapter 1 lets us know that those who follow after him, that they're not in darkness. And he, he is one that in him is, in, in him is no darkness at all. Now, I don't completely understand this verse when it says, this light which no man can approach unto. Now, I realize that there's coming a day we will approach to him, that he will come and he will call and we will come uh, as he demands and commands us, as he uh, parts the skies at the last day, we will approach to him. We will approach to the light that right now no man can dwell in and no man can approach to, but there's coming a day that we will. But there's going to have to be a change first. Paul would tell the church at Corinth, he says, we should all all sleep. He said, but we shall all be changed. That's a reality. He says, even though we may not all die, every single one of us will be changed. In a moment, he says, in the twinkling of an eye, he says, when the last trump sounds, all of a sudden we shall be raised incorruptible. Uh, you and I who've been weak shall be uh, all of a sudden individuals of power. Even though we've been corrupt, we'll be incorruptible. Even though our life has had its end, we will be raised in the image of Christ and enjoy immortality forever. So he says, who only have immortality to dwell in the light which no man can approach unto. But the day's coming when you shall be changed. And you'll be able to approach unto him and unto this light. Paul says, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Time is quickly running out, he says, as he closes out this book. He says, you charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Don't get proud. <laughs> you know, riches and time are two things that go quickly. We looked a couple weeks ago how that wealth in a moment can grow wings and fly away as the eagle to the heavens. And life, it goes fast. I'm 42. I don't know where it went. It seems like I've blinked. We have a daughter that's nine, and that's hard to believe. Time is something that is gone and can never be recovered. Wealth you may lose and might recover it, but either way, you can't trust in it. Time and wealth cannot be counted on. Remember that wealthy man who had the great harvest? He went to bed thinking and dreaming about all that he had already drawing up architectural plans in his head, how he was going to pull down the old barn. I never understood that. Why don't you just keep them and add more? But anyway, he's going to pull down the old barns and build new barns to keep all that he had. And the Lord came to him that night and said, Thou fool! Why was he a fool? Because he didn't put God into the equation. Remember there in the book of James, those men said, We are going to buy. We're going to go to a city. We're going to buy, sell, and get gain. And you know what? The Lord responds to them and says, that's not what you're supposed to say. They should have said, if the Lord will, we shall live. First of all, we shall live. Then we're going to go to a city. We're going to buy some. They hadn't even counted on having life to go into that city. And the Lord responds, first of all, you fools, you need to understand, if we live, then we'll go to such a city. And if the Lord blesses, then we'll get gain by buying and selling. We don't even know if we're going to live. Much less have the the wisdom and the ability to buy, sell, and get gain. So he tells them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Don't get haughty. 
and think, well, I'm always going to be here, and the wealth that I currently possess will always be in my accounts. I was reading yesterday about one of these, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, Bitcoin, these, uh, I just call it fake money. Well, it's all kind of fake anymore, but uh, uh, whatever it's called, uh, cryptocurrency, I think it's, yeah. This guy was a billionaire as of, I think, Thursday, and as of Friday, it's all gone. I mean, he literally has no money left. It's empty. It's gone. Uh, imagine that, being a billionaire one day, and the next day, it's literally, that's what happened to Job. You know what he said? The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, he wasn't haughty right then, at least. So he said, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living. Talk about uncertain riches, that, that cryptocurrency. I've had several people want me to get involved with that. I'm like, if I can't see it, if I can't put some hands on it, I, I just don't know about that. I've got a good friend. He's got quite a bit in whatever that first one's called. I'm, I'm going, but anyway, he's tried several times to get me to buy into that. He said, it's just as real as that which is issued by the federal government of the United States. I said, maybe so, but I can still lay hands on that. Anyway, he says, you don't trust in uncertain. And I'm telling you what, if you hadn't been watching our economy, since the Federal Reserve was instituted in the United States of America, and you think that what we have is certain riches, you just don't know what's really going on. It's all just paper, it's all just fake. You know, when our money went away from the gold and silver standard, you know what it became? On the full faith and credit of the United States government. Think about that. Your wealth is built upon the full faith and credit of the United States government. That's Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and the rest of those cats up there in Washington, D.C. That's where your wealth all is. And I'm not, I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican or if it's a Democrat or Republican up there in power. That is what our money is based on. Talk about uncertain riches. So Paul says, don't get haughty. Number one, we don't know how much time we have here. And the riches we have, they're uncertain. So he says, here's what we're to do. We're to trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy and the rich, especially that they do good, that they be rich in good works. And that they are ready to distribute, mean give that which they have to the needs of others. And to communicate, that means, again, to give that to those in need. He says, and in doing that, they'll lay up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. That they may lay hold on eternal life. So that's how they lay hold, by not trusting in their riches, not trusting in time but trusting in God who giveth all things richly to enjoy. And then one of my favorite verses that Paul ever wrote, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. That's a very solemn charge. That charge is on me. That charge is on you. Keep that which is committed to thy trust. What is that trust? He said it in 1 Timothy 3. When he lets us know that the church of the living God, the house of God, it's the pillar and ground of the truth. So the truth of the eternal God has been committed to our trust. Think about that. The reality of the sovereign God preaching the gospel of the grace of God and upholding the doctrine of election, of predestination, 
of redemption through the blood of Christ, justification through his work, believing in the direct work of the Holy Spirit and giving eternal life to the children of God, in preserving that life until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a truth. That is the faith that has been committed to our trust. If we won't keep it, who will? Now, I understand that God does not need you and I to keep that truth. The truth is the truth whether or not we maintain it. But it's vital for our happiness and our joy and our rest and our uh, contemplation of peace in this world uh, to maintain these things that God has blessed us with and given us freely by his mercy and his grace. And thus you and I now, because of the freedom uh, that we have in Christ and the great gift that's been given to us uh, by the high cost of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, ought to be willing to be sober, to be vigilant and diligent in the keeping of the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. He says, and here's how you do it. You avoid profane and vain babblings. And notice this, oppositions of science falsely so-called. There is biblical true science and there is uh, science falsely so-called. And notice about the science falsely so-called, it opposes us. It opposes you. It opposes the peace you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It opposes the rest you have in your soul about the finished work of Christ. It opposes the reality that you have a creator that you can commit the keeping of your soul unto in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. It opposes the reality that there even is a God. And if we're not careful, we will embrace the uh, false science of this world. And in so doing, all of a sudden, what happened? It has opposed us. And if we give way to it, it has effectively conquered us while we live here. And you and I who have laid hold on eternal life have let it go. Does that mean you won't go to heaven? No, it doesn't mean that. But you have let go the joy and the blessings that you have knowing about eternal life if you will yield to uh, vain or profound, uh, profane babblings and to the oppositions of science falsely so-called. He said, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. He said, this has already happened. It's happening. And Paul's saying it's going to keep happening. There are people today that may not be here next week. There are people that are serving the Lord Jesus Christ today that may err uh, between now and next Sunday because of uh, profane and vain babblings or because science that is falsely so-called has opposed them and conquered them. That's why he says, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. And here's how you do it. You avoid the vain babblings of this world. Tune that out. When you run across some scientist that questions the reality of God, you throw that away. And you come back to the word of God and you see the reality that God is the creator, that he's the judge. He's the only blessed potentate. He is the one who reigns. He's the one that is returning and he's the one that's going to take us to be with him in glory. And keeping that in mind will help you when the onslaught and the opposition of science falsely so-called comes, when the vain and profane babblings of this world come your way, you'll be able to keep that which is committed to your trust through the power and the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you.